Welcome to the Are Your Hands Full podcast, a step-by-step parenting podcast for your Jewish family. My name is Dr. S. Yaroslavitz, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's spend some time going through why doesn't anger or abuse teach children, especially today. Number one, it's the wrong message. When parents lose control in anger, they are setting the wrong example for their children. Parents are their children's role models. The reactions they display will be the same reactions that their children will imitate in similar situations. Anger and abuse teach children undesirable ways of dealing with frustration. When parents lose control and scream in anger... Their children will learn that when faced with frustration, they should kick and scream as well. Okay, I guess that makes sense. If my kids observe that I scream when they accidentally knock over a cup of apple juice, then why wouldn't they scream when someone knocks over their block towers or spills out their snack bag? But on the other hand, if my child observes me saying Gamzulatova when I just schlepped the whole family to the shoe store only to find out that the store was unexpectedly closed... So that child might say Gamzulatoba when it rains on the day that we planned a birthday picnic with his friends. So that's part of how the role modeling has to happen. What about this? Here's another reason why it doesn't work. Tit for tat. You ever heard this nursery rhyme? Tit for tat, butter for fat. If you kick my dog, I'll kick your cat. So after children are punished for what they've done, they don't feel guilty anymore. They believe that the abuse took care of whatever they did wrong because if I took a cookie and you punished me, then we're even. So the child is now free to repeat the misbehavior because once he's punished, he feels that the slate is clean. In the same way, since today's children believe that they have rights, they often harbor revenge fantasies against their parents, which you don't hear about. Another reason that it doesn't work is because oftentimes children feel, well, maybe I'm just bad. In addition to the poor midos that children learn from angry outbursts, many children will interpret the anger that their parents dish out on them as an indication that they themselves are bad, which directly impacts their self-esteem and results in a reduction of their positive sense of self-worth. Children withdraw from anger and abuse. It frightens them to see the adults in their lives lose control. It impacts them negatively and affects their interactions with family, teachers, and friends. And more importantly, it doesn't work. Anger has never helped change children's behavior in the long run. And there's proof to that. The proof is very simple. There are many, many angry parents, and yet children continue to misbehave. What does that tell you? Obviously, anger has not managed to eradicate negative behaviors. So when should punishments be used? The only situation when we can assume that a parent is not feeling anger is when safety is compromised. At that time, parents feel fear rather than anger, and therefore punishment is permissible. I can clearly remember when something like this happened to me recently. This is an imaginary mother talking. I was in the kitchen washing the dishes while the older children were playing outside in the yard. And Mindy, who was barely two years old at the time, was playing beside me on the kitchen floor. After one of the children came inside for a quick drink, I left the kitchen for a moment to switch the loads of laundry. 
When I came back, I immediately noticed that Mindy was not in the kitchen anymore. I turned to the front door and panicked. When I saw that the screen door was open, I ran outside like a mad woman and saw Mindy heading straight for the street just as a car was zooming up the block. I screamed hysterically for Mindy to come back, but it seemed like it was too late. There was an awful screech of brakes followed by a miraculous sudden stop of the car. This dramatic scene was followed by a joyful reunion between my precious Mindy and me. Now let's analyze this mother's narrative. At the moment of their reunion, our mother was not angry. She was intensely frightened and then immensely relieved. Interestingly enough, it is only during an episode where safety is compromised that she was allowed to and should have exhibited strong feelings of pressure and anger and punish her child from escaping from the house and running into the street. But she didn't do that. You know why? Because she wasn't angry. And we're programmed to get upset when we're angry. Children know the difference between a frightened parent and an angry one. And they would, this child would have understood that they were being shouted at because of parental fear rather than parental anger. Therefore, shouting at a child is only permitted in response to situations where safety is compromised. And it's so, so unfortunate and so, so sad that parents do not exhibit the equally strong negative emotions when a child's safety has been compromised through carelessness and neglect. But rather, it seems that parents choose to react in anger in response to their own minor or even major inconveniences or when physical objects are damaged. So let's talk about how to handle your angry. Although children will continue to exhibit negative behaviors, cause that what is normal children, because that's what normal children do, there are a number of techniques that parents can use to control their feelings of anger when handling children during negative parenting moments. So let's talk about that. Here's technique number one. Leave your heart at home. That sounds strange, no? A sign that reads, leave your heart at home, was prominently displayed on the wall of a nurse's station in a trauma unit of a well-known hospital. Initially, when I read this sign, I thought, how cruel. This is a place that needs a heart, if there any place needs a heart. Is it not a trauma unit where families are facing tremendous loss and a possible upheaval? But after working there for several weeks, I understood. When an emergency medical technician, an EMT, is called to an emergency, he has only a few seconds to determine why a victim has collapsed in order to make a, cor a correct decision regarding treatment. Every second that is wasted is a possible threat to the patient's life. If the EMT were to come to an emergency and start crying over the critical state of the patient, he would not be helpful to the victim at all. The EMT must leave his heart and his emotions back home and arrive at the scene of the emergency with his decision-making organ, what's that? His brain completely intact. So once the crisis has passed and the patient is stabilized, then he can begin to use his heart again. But until that point, only his brain is valuable. So sometimes a mother's job dictates that she leave her heart behind and use her brain. This is especially true during negative moments. 
Neutrality accompanied by clear thinking will ensure that negativity does not harm the child when negative incidents are being addressed. Here are some quick and easy formulas when dealing with your heart and brain. Equation number one. If you have a positive moment, add that to your heart, you end up having love. Ava for the child. Equation number two. If you have a negative moment and you end up using your heart, negative moment plus heart, you end up with anger. Equation number three. But if you have a negative moment and you use your brain, then if you use proper strategies, you will have authority. You will have Yira. And since parenting is a combination of Ava and Yira, we need to use our heart during positive moments and our brain during negative moments. So based on these equations, in order to strike a beautiful balance, a correct balance of parenting that incorporates both Ahava and Yira, just like the Rabbani Shalom does for us, we must use our hearts during positive moments, equation one, and our brains during negative moments, equation three. Something else. Here's another technique. It's called forethought. Not so easily found these days. Since we must use our brains exclusively during negative moments of chinuch, previously preparing your default brain responses that you should know in advance what you're going to think when things go wrong, that goes a long way toward easing the thinking process when the negative episode occurs. So here are some suggested pre-thoughts that you can be, have prepared in your brain and just pull out when you need them. Ask yourself, number one, Will I remember this incident in a year from now? Surprisingly enough, some incidents are actually remembered fondly. For example, the time we chased two-year-old Mindy around the house on Erev Pesach with an open bag of macaroni, right? Number two, ask yourself, am I sacrificing the people in my life for the objects in my life? When we adopt the proper perspective, it is much easier to overlook damage to physical objects compared to the possibility of causing irreparable emotional damage to the precious people in our lives. Here's another one. Remember to be grateful to the Rabbanu for all that he has given you. Start off with a list of Baruch Hashems that you can pull out of your back pocket during the negative moments of Chinuch, and be sure to list the people in your life first. Once you focus on what you have, it's so easy to look away from the material item that has been lost or damaged during a negative moment. And here's another one, buying time. The link between a negative event and accessing proper thoughts for the brain is time. So when a child spreads an entire bottle of glue on your couch, that's a negative event, the initial surge of emotions is fierce. Most people ride on that wave of emotion and they explode into a torrent of anger because they missed the crucial link between the negative moment and the brain. They missed the link of time. So rather than immediately acting upon emotions, parents should stop. Wait a few moments. Let your brain spring into action. Once your brain is given the required time, it will be capable of combating fierce negative emotional surges with constructive and effective countering thoughts. Your brain is very powerful. The brain might think, 
Baruch Hashem for the child's creative mind. Baruch Hashem for the glue. Baruch Hashem for the couch. And Baruch Hashem for the professionals who clean upholstery. Or your brain might say, is the couch in my life more important than my precious Yossi? Or another similar countering thought, just a few moments of time, will give your brain the opportunity to think and link the negative moment to a functional thought. So, to review, step by step, how it is done. One, when a negative moment occurs, freeze for approximately 10 seconds, unless safety is compromised. When safety is compromised, you spring into action. Two, allow your brain to provide you with the necessary thoughts to remain calm. And three, separate the object from the child or the child from the object without comment, showing the child that you value him or her more than you value your material possessions. And four, you will have taught the child the lesson of a lifetime. He will learn how to stay calm during life's most frustrating moments. So let me tell you a story. While sitting shiva for their mother, Allah Shalom, my husband and his brothers repeatedly referred to a specific memory that they all seemed to have shared. They called it the onion story. So apparently this episode occurred on the first night of Pesach about 50 years ago. When times were difficult, there were no Pesach kitchens, money was scarce, and mothers worked really, really hard to bring in Pesach. My in-laws owned a metal closet on wheels, complete with shelves on which to store the Pesach dishes. And when Pesach arrived, all other kitchen cabinets were sealed off and the portable metal closet was rolled out and used instead. So the metal closet held a complete set of glass Pesach dishes on the upper shelves and the bottom two shelves were used to store potatoes and onions. So on the first night of Pesach, while my mother-in-law finally sat down on the couch for the first time in weeks, my husband and his brothers and a few cousins were playing in the kitchen while waiting for the men to come home from shul. So among this group of little boys was my husband's five-year-old, very labadic, twin brothers. So it seems like an argument developed between the twins about who could swing on the door of the metal Pesach cabinet for a longer period of time. So in an effort to outdo each other, each boy hoisted himself on the top of one of the doors of the cabinet and began to swing. So obviously the cabinet could not hold the weight of the two little boys together and the entire cabinet, all the glass dishes, the potatoes and the onions and the twin boys came crashing to the floor. So after being told by the other children that everyone was unharmed, my mother-in-law did not move from the couch or react. She simply sat on the couch and waited. And while she was sitting there, one lone onion rolled from the kitchen all the way to the couch in the living room and stopped right by her left foot. Later, when a visitor who had been present at the time asked her why she hadn't moved, she replied that she knew that if she would have left that couch, she would have ended up punishing those children in anger. And therefore, she chose to just sit on the couch. Amazing, no? She remembers watching the rolling onion and focusing on it during those intense moments of anger, frustration, and pain. She later told her children how she used the rolling onion 
to control her anger and delay reaction until the intensity of the moment had passed. She told them that she decided that although she might fondly remember the incident a year from then, the loss of the dishes, which were the objects in her life, and in those days they didn't have that many objects, was not as important to her as her children, which are the people in her life, even at that stressful moment. So this Mida, it seems, was one of the main qualities that my Schwiger's 50-year-old sons remembered about her and spoke about repeatedly during her Shiva. A real Mr. Haskell for that. Here's another technique. Learn your ABCs. It's a cute one. A plus B equals C. So A is the activating event. What happens? The trigger. B is the belief you have or how you perceive the event. And C is the consequence or your reaction. So the equation reads activating event plus the belief equals a consequence. So here are some examples where all the activating events are the same, but when the belief is changed, the resulting consequences change as well. So our belief will affect our reactions. If we can train our brains to formulate correct beliefs, we'll be able to react properly during negative moments. So here's the first activating event. I parked somewhere, and I got a parking ticket on my windshield. Okay. So if my belief is I work hard to earn my money and do not want to give it to the municipality, I'm going to get angry that I got a parking ticket, right? But with the same event, there's a parking ticket on my windshield, I believe that the Rabbanu Shalom must not want me to have this money. I'm grateful that I'm paying it out for a parking ticket rather than Khalil in an emergency room or a doctor's visit. If I look at it that way, I'll feel calm and accepting of the situation, Gamzulatova. How about this one? If my glass vase was knocked over by my overly active child, and I believe that children should not be jumping around the house and touching things that are delicate, then I'm going to become upset that my vase was broken and angry at the child who broke it. But what about if my glass vase was knocked over by my overly active child, and my belief is that normal kids will jump around from time to time, it was probably foolish of me to keep such a fragile piece within their reach, and I can always replace a vase then my reaction will be that it was bashert for this to happen. I'd better clean it up before someone gets hurt. Here's another activating event. What about if my child's shoes are worn out two weeks after I bought them? And my belief is that this is ridiculous. Short shoes should, especially expensive shoes, should last through intensive wear and tear. Then I'm going to become angry that the shoes did not last well, and I'm going to let somebody know, such as the store owner. But what about if my child's shoes are worn out two weeks after I bought them? Same activating event. And my belief is that my child is healthy, and healthy, active children wear out their shoes. Then my reaction is going to be, Baruch Hashem, that my child is healthy. Let me go to the store I bought them from and see if they can do something for me. Let's talk about another technique. Be prepared. The best weapon that we have against anger is being prepared. 
If every morning a Baskol would announce a list of frustrations that we would have to deal with on that day, chances are that by the time the frustrating event actually occurred, we would be prepared with a proper reaction and be able to stay calm quite easily. The Eitzahara knows this and therefore uses the element of surprise to make us lose control. So when we're caught off guard, we have much more difficulty staying calm and thinking things through clearly. So for this reason, it's crucial that parents understand the theory behind the techniques of Are Your Hands Full so that you'll be equipped to analyze a situation, categorize it, and then use the appropriate technique to address it. If you're prepared to respond correctly to each episode that takes place, then you'll, never, you'll have a much easier time controlling anger even when you're caught by surprise. Listen, let's face it. Parenting careers are sprinkled with positive and negative moments. Parents fantasize and wish that all chinuch moments would be filled with love and infused with positive energy. The ultimate key to the inability to transmit natural love on a steady basis stems from the ability to engage in anger management. One cannot feel pure love for a child if angry feelings are present. And let's face it, you're going to have to learn to deal with negative moments. Now let's talk about the love, how important it is to be able to give your children love. Love is a feeling. It doesn't really have a recipe. There's no formula that dictates the number of hugs and kisses plus the number of bedtime stories that add up to a proper dose of love. Ava is a deep emotion and originates within the parent and emanates through every action and gesture. In today's mechanical and technological world, it is quite common for parents to forget to demonstrate love. We live in a world in which efficiency and productivity are revered, while emotion is sometimes minimized and underrated and ignored. Parents should never forget to nurture warm and loving feelings toward their children at all times. Although the quest for efficiency and productivity has traveled from the business world into the home, Efficiency at home is not necessarily the barometer of successful parenting. Rather, the positive feelings that are expressed from the depths of a parent's heart will serve to cement the bricks of healthy mental stability and positive emotional interactions in the home so that your children can grow and build future Erlich So really, the only way to tap into the natural love is to eliminate the anger that blocks it. And the only way to eliminate that anger is to effectively deal with each negative behavior as it happens, thereby maintaining authority and preventing anger buildup. And here's one second question. Here's the question. I did it. I lost control and I hit my child. Should I ask him for machila? So the answer is, firstly, bottle and save the feelings of regret that come after losing control. They are awful feelings. And remembering them may help you stay in control the next time such a situation arises. Unfortunately, there are parents who hit their children so often that they stop feeling badly about it. And when parents become accustomed to hitting their children, the children unfortunately become used to it as well. And a negative parenting-child relationship is established. Now, in order to ask your, answer your question about apology, about asking Mechila, According to the fifth Dibra in the Aserah Sadibros, Kabides Avichavesi Mechan Shemos, honor your father and your mother, parents should not actually apologize to their children by actually saying, I am sorry, even if they feel regretful. It is correct, though, 
to communicate to your child that you're unhappy about what happened. So you can say, I really dislike getting angry. I try very hard not to get angry, and I hope I will not get angry again. Wishing you loads of hatzlacha in controlling emotions during the inevitable negative moments and turning them into positive learning experiences. Thanks for listening to my podcast. My name is Dr. S. Yaroslavitz, and I am the director of Handsful, which is committed to the provision of community education in the area of behavior management and cognitive development of children. Send me your parenting questions by going to my website at handsfullchenuch.com or by WhatsApping me at 718-714-8595. I look forward to hearing from you. And remember, no matter how impossible things may seem, the earth will continue rotating on its axis.